0: All right, so we are here, we are live, and it's Wednesday night, and so I just want to just take some time and bust into the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is on our schedule to study here on Wednesday night, uh, regardless of what we're doing this year. We have a cycle of uh, of really three and a half years. We break it into seven total years where we cover somewhat of a curriculum. For those of you that, that may not know that about HBF, on Wednesday nights we're, we're educating the body of Christ, we're teaching, we're talking about certain things that need to be uh, address throughout the course of uh, seven years in addition to our other discipleship um, classes that we do we also just continuously uh, teach the bible and, and cover certain topics as, as well as do Q and a uh, and tonight I was not going to jump into Ephesians tonight I was going to wait a couple weeks and build up to it but uh, the lord directed me I'm actually in ephesians in my personal reading today and um, and so instead of you know doing a QA tonight I thought I'm just going to go ahead and just jump into our series and get started. Uh, it's where I'm already at in my daily reading and study, anyway. So, uh, God just confirmed that. And so we're adjusting our schedule just a bit. Uh, there's a couple other things just to kind of keep you guys informed. If you're a member of HBF, some of you are maybe wondering when are we going to, uh, you know, finish our study of of the uh, uh, principles of Bible study. We we will do that. We plan on doing that uh, as well as the family, uh, the child rearing series that, that will also finish. Lord willing, as soon as we can come back together uh, under one roof, uh, and as, of course now as soon as this this series in Ephesians is over. So after this is over, we'll pick up those other two studies and then move on with the studies that we have planned for the rest of 2020. And so, um, and so uh, we're in the book of, of Ephesians tonight, and we're going to study this book for the next several weeks. Ephesians uh, has been called the the mini book of Romans—it's certainly a book of doctrine, and it's a—it's a good analogy to call it a mini Romans. It's a book of full of doctrine for the local New Testament church, and uh, and like and like Romans, it reveals the mystery uh, not of Israel. Romans reveals the blindness, how blindness had imparted happened to Israel in Romans eleven twenty five. In Ephesians, it reveals the mystery of Christ and the church in the fifth chapter, in the thirty second verse. And by the way, forgive me. I do not have um, I do not have a note, notes up on the website tonight, but I, I intend to get those up in weeks ahead. So you'll have to, if you're a note taker, you'll have to take some notes. I'll give you some cues so you know what to write down. But this is just a reference uh, by way of introduction. In Ephesians five twenty three, we'll not get to the study in this tonight. But one of the mysteries in the New Testament, we uh, teach seven mysteries here at HBF. Uh, one of those is found in Ephesians five. In verse 32, it says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And so we know that in Ephesians, Ephesians is a book that reveals, it reveals the mystery of Christ and the church, which is an incredible thing. Now, a mystery in the, we'll get to this later, but a mystery is not something you can't know. It's something that's actually revealed through, uh, to the church through the Apostle Paul. So we'll talk about that more as we go in our study. So that mystery, um, though it is in type revealed in the Old Testament through Eve and through Ruth and through Rebecca and other Old Testament figures, uh, women primarily, uh, well, certainly women, um, it was not revealed in, you know, in its fullness and really what it was. It really wasn't seen until... God gave it to the Apostle Paul to give to the churches. The reason that Paul was able to have these mysteries revealed to him is because these are things that God wants us to have. So uh, Romans and, and Ephesians both contain these mysteries. The New Testament contains uh, seven, at least seven, if you catch some categorize them as 12, some categorize them as seven, seven mysteries that you can know. These are things that you shouldn't just, you know, maybe know. These are actually things that we are to know. We are stewards of the mysteries. So one of those mysteries that we find is found right here in the book of, of, of uh, Ephesians. Now, in Romans 16, the Bible uh, gives us another mystery. As I've mentioned, Romans 11-25 um, gives us the mystery of the blindness and part that's happened to Israel. But uh, the Apostle Paul uh, said, as he concluded his epistle to Romans, Now, to him that is uh, of power to establish you according to my gospel. As uh, Paul, very, in the very first chapter he spends the first two chapters. Well, really, the first part of really the whole book of Romans is a big, uh, you know, thesis on the gospel in essence, and how we're glor- how we're justified and glorified and glorified justified, sanctified and glorified. But in Romans 16, the Bible says, "Now to him that is is of the power to establish you." This is verse 25, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. Uh, So the gospel that Paul preached was a revelation, and that was the good news that anybody that called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Uh, He goes on to say, "...which was kept secret since the world began, Now, but now is made manifest, and by the scripture of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith." Jesus Christ called the disciples to go and teach all nations. And what we do today, to this day, is we take the gospel, the good news, of of uh, the gospel to to every creature we preach it to all nations and we still are in that business of getting this gospel that's been revealed uh through the apostle paul the gospel that's available to anybody all that'll call and so we'll see here in just a few minutes in ephesians chapter one that that this is an epistle that has to do with god's grace god's goodness to the church because grace is well man it's it's god's riches at christ's expense and so when we look at our identity in Christ as we go through the book of Ephesians, we're going to see how God has blessed us, all the promises he's given to us. We're going to get into all of these, uh, you know, nuances and, and uh, things that people are confused about regarding predestination and, and all of those things. And, and uh, all of that stuff's going to be touched on very soon, the next few weeks. Uh, and really what you're going to find is instead of getting confused and distracted with things that don't matter, you're going to get, we're, by God's grace, we're going to get focused in... And we're going to see Christ's sufficiency. Um, we're going to see our identity in Christ, not just in Christ, but also as we move into the second or the third and the fourth chapter, we're going to see how God has designed the church body to work together. And then when we get into the fifth and sixth chapter, we're going to see really more practical aspects of how we walk out the Christian faith. So this is going to be a good study. So I hope you join me every week and, and get in on this because we're going to learn some things about Christ, we're going to learn some things about his church. And then we're going to learn some things about how that identity, our identity in Christ and our, and our fitting uh, into the church is, is really then propels us with power to walk out what we believe. And uh, Paul, and we're going to get into this in just a minute, Paul did that with the church of Ephesians uh, at, the, at the church at Ephesus. They knew what manner of man Paul was. He wasn't just talking the talk. He was walking the walk. And I pray tonight that, that we are as well. So if you have your Bibles, let's look in uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, I'm not going to read a whole lot of this tonight just because this is my introductory uh, session and we will get into to a lot of scripture tonight so if you if you don't have your Bible, get it out, get ready to go because we're going to study the Bible. this isn't just me preaching sometimes you hear me preaching on Sunday and I'm going to run through a lot of verses tonight. I'm going to get into a lot of verses, but I want to expect you to open up your Bible and actually look in the Bible and follow along because the Bible is going to direct us in our study. It's going to teach us. Uh, and the Holy Ghost, the Bible says in John that, that the Holy Ghost is our teacher. As Jesus was praying, um, man, he, he prayed the Comforter would come and that he would teach us all things whatsoever he said to us. And, and so that happened in Acts chapter 2. So since Acts chapter 2 till now, the reason we can understand the mysteries uh, that God has given to us, the reason we can understand this book is because God has given us as the church Uh, individually when you get saved the spirit of God so that you can understand the word of God so open up your bibles tonight to understand God's word and let's let's uh, ask the Lord once again to just anoint this time in in regard to our understanding to quicken our understanding so we can learn the things that God has for us from his word heavenly father once more I come to you in prayer tonight and I pray God that uh, as people are joining us they're coming online I, I know it's just after dinner time for many people and people are moving about and it's beautiful weather today for those that are joining us online right now, I pray, God, that you would just settle them right now, that you would settle us all in to really focus on your word. Uh, this is not a time of entertainment so much as a time of teaching. It's a time to really learn something from your word. And I pray, God, that you would teach us tonight from your word. I pray, God, this would not uh, just be a, a time to you know tickle our ears or itch our ears with more knowledge. But, Lord, give us application tonight. Give us uh, an ability to really learn something that will profit the body of Christ, that will profit us as Christians, but most of all, that will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our first two verses tonight are verses 1 and 2. It says, Paul, and we'll talk about Paul in just a moment, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace. I mentioned that word already. Grace. Grace be unto you. Oh, what a beautiful thing. Just let that flow over you a little bit tonight. Grace be unto you. Who needs a little grace, man? I'm always up for some grace. Grace be unto you. Hey, how about some peace tonight in a time of COVID? And peace. Grace and peace. Where's this coming from? From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, who's your daddy? Well, I pray that the Lord Jesus Christ has got you connected to God the Father and he's your daddy because, man, he's a good father. He is bringing you grace and peace. So as Paul opens up this letter to the church at Ephesus, he's introducing himself to the church and he's telling them what God the Father and the Son have for them. And so tonight that's about as much text in regard to the introductory comments of Paul in Ephesians I'm going to get into because that's really his introduction. When we get into verses 3 on, he he starts right away busting down uh, and, and laying out some incredible promises for us, which are pretty deep actually in regard to our relationship with Christ and the ergo and thereby our identity, which is what this is all about. When you understand who you are in Christ, it will affect everything and I tell you there 's not a better time in history than to know who, than now to know who you are in christ and if you 're not in Christ, I pray that even tonight, maybe you can come to know him as Lord and Savior. So the first thing we 're going to see if you 're a note taker so this is uh, point number one. Just write on your paper one, and then this is a short short title, uh, authority. We're going to look at the authority uh, in this introduction, because tonight is, again, just an introduction to the book of Ephesians. And so you can see some things just in the Apostle Paul's introduction, and that's number one. Number one, we see authority. And you say, what do you mean by that, Brian? Well, I'm glad you asked, and I'm going to tell you. So the authority, first thing that we see is Paul's authority in verse 1. Notice he says, Paul, an apostle... Of Jesus Christ, but how's he an apostle of Jesus Christ? It says, "By the will of God." And by the way, what is the will of God? A lot of people wonder what is the will of God. The will of God is is right here. It's it's a it's a if you go if someone in your family dies, they leave a will and testament. Guess what? We have God's will and testament. When Jesus Christ ascended, He He left three things. He left the Word of God. He left the local New Testament church, and he left us the Spirit of God. And so you have, and you you can know God's will. God has written it out, and uh, he has called us to follow his will. So Paul knew what he was supposed to do. Do you know what you're supposed to do? Do you know really who you are in Christ and and why God has saved you? Uh, That's a really good question. I'm going to leave that hanging out there because that's something that every individual Christian has to answer. And if you can't answer it, If you're like me, it drives you crazy. Uh, I mean, i got to know who I am in Christ and what God saved me to do, or I'll go crazy, man. And so I hope you know that. I hope you know the answer to that. So Paul introduces himself, as he typically does in the opening verses of his epistles, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So um, with the exception of of, uh, the book of Hebrews, this is a typical introduction by the Apostle Paul. He varies it from here and there with a few different things. But he starts off by just introducing himself. And, uh, and I believe he wrote Hebrews. Some others don't. So we won't get into that. He does not do that in Hebrews. If indeed Paul is the one that wrote it. If he's not, well, I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. I'll ask. We'll make sure we'll get this straightened out later. So point is, is that Paul introduces himself. And uh, there's nothing, uh, he has nothing to prove to the Ephesians. Uh, even though he says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's not, it's not like he's writing to the church at Corinth. These guys receive him as an apostle. And I'm going to get into that here in just just a few minutes, a lot deeper. But Paul had nothing to prove to the Ephesians concerning his apostleship. Uh, if you've been joining us on, on Sunday nights, um, we're wrapping up the, the, the last chapter of Cor- Corinthians, but you know from that study that we've had in, Cor- in Corinth that the Corinthians did struggle really with the authority of the Apostle Paul with the authority of all the, they were so carnal, they just couldn't, they couldn't capture um, really the authority of the people that God had entrusted the word to, to help guide them and help them, and they kind of had it all upside down and backwards, so that was not the case of the Ephesians, the Ephesians, I mean, they were fit for the Roman culture, they understood authority, and they understood structure, and we'll look at that a little bit more here in a little bit, but boy, wouldn't that be something to introduce to the church of Laodicea, (laughs) Yeah, you better believe it. Since we live in the Church of Rights of the People, the concept of submitting to authority is foreign, uh, oftentimes. So uh, until you join the military and you run from authority, then you get there and you find out how authority works. But the reality is simply this: you know he's in, he's he's been given to the church to guide them. And man, Paul was so good to the Church of Ephesus, and the Church of Ephesus was so good in regard to their ministry. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the Ephesian elders, they love Paul so much that when he was in Miletus, they went out of their way to meet Paul. I mean, they went over Hill and over Dale uh, to get to Paul as he sailed past Ephesus to Miletus, and then they traveled to go meet Paul. So there was a great, I believe there was a great fondness and affection of the leadership. But we see that this epistle isn't just written to the leaders, it's written to everybody. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that here in just a minute as well. So we have a unique window into the life of the Apostle Paul. I think this is a great epistle and a great opportunity to kind of look at the relationship that Paul did have. You can look in in Corinthians, and you can see the relationship Paul had there, as well. In both cases, the apostle Paul invested heavily in those churches, but he got you know really different responses um, from the, from the saints there. So in uh, in Ephesus, uh, Paul had a really warm relationship with the saints. And so, if you have your Bible, turn over to the book of Acts. We're just going to look at the text. Now, this is this is really text that we've been covering. Um, in our time together on Sunday morning, so it should be familiar to some of you. The book of Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, it says in Acts 20 and verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. This is what I was just referring to. He had already sailed past Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem uh, at the end of his uh, third journey. And now he is, he, is, he stops and he, he sends for the, the elders to come and, and visit with him. And he says, and he, and he called the elders of the church. And when they were come in or come to him, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons. And so he, he reminds them that, you know, he has spent some time in Ephesus, right? He has spent some time with these folks. Paul founded the church at Ephesus. Um, he, he helped the church planning couple named Aquila and Priscilla in about AD 52. So you figure it's about a decade from the time that he writes this epistle of, of, to the Ephesians from the time that was planned. It was about a 10-year-old church. HBF, it's hard to believe, we're 18 years old uh, this year. And so uh, we've been here for, for 18 years. And that's a, that's a long time. So uh, it's amazing. But you know, we get epistles as well. I, went, I just saw a video this week of 2008, uh, me and Doug Pearson in uh, Nepal, and just all the memories come running back of all the things that God has done in that amount of time. It's so amazing. And so uh, uh, when you look at what God does in time, it's, it's absolutely outstanding. So I'm getting nostalgic because I'm getting old. But anyway, um, uh, so Paul, he's left Corinth after spending about 18 months, and he heads on down to Ephesus with... Aquila and Priscilla in Acts eighteen and verse eighteen, the Bible, and you can flip over there, just a couple chapters back. Go back there in Acts eighteen and verse eighteen. The apostle Paul says there in Acts eighteen and verse eighteen, he says, "And Paul, after after this, tarried there yet a good while, um, and took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila." And I'll just pause here. It's interesting to always note that. It's not always Aquila, the male and Priscilla. Sometimes it's Priscilla and Aquila. Um, Having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow, and he came to, here it is in verse 19 of Acts chapter 18, Ephesus, and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. uh, When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So we see here that Paul initially drops into, into Ephesus. He brings Aquila and Priscilla with him, which is important to know. Uh, and then back in our text, you can go back to Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 20. We're going to pick it up there uh, in verse 19. And so in Acts chapter 20, the text picks up. What, what's he doing in Ephesus? Well, he's serving the Lord with all humility of mind. So the, the Ephesians saw him do that. Initially, he planted this church, but they were able to see him serve with all humility of mind. And notice this, and with many tears. I, I had to. I hate to admit this, but everybody was going by yesterday, and it choked me up just because it was so nice. And uh, I was like, "Man," and uh, but I'm not like Paul. I didn't want anyone to see my tears. So my wife is recording, and as I walked up to the porch, I put a bag in front of the camera because I'm like, "This is not worthy of a." Uh, embarrassing me in public and so uh but you know what uh you know what god god knows what our tears are doing i mean he is he's, he got him in a bottle the bible says and so really think about what do you cry over i mean you sit around crying over movies that aren't even real and plots that never happened in real life or do you cry over things that matter and i tell you what if you've not cried over the things that jesus is crying about then you know shame on us we need to be you know paul the ministry brought tears to his eyes. Sometimes it's tears of joy, like for me yesterday. And sometimes it's, man, there's other times it isn't tears of joy. And it's anguish. But you know what? Uh, Paul, was he was so close to the Ephesians. They'd seen him cry in the good times. And they'd seen him cry in the bad times. And so, uh, man, Paul was close to these folks. And it says here that he... Um, uh, I lost my place. Oh, and he and he kept back nothing. I don't want to get get past that too. So it says, and they saw him with temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. So they saw him under pressure. Paul was always being pursued by the Jews, and literally they were trying to kill him. Uh, and so he was a wanted man. In verse twenty of chapter twenty, it says, and and how I kept back nothing from you, uh, nothing, and taught you publicly and from house to house. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul, uh, he was teaching the word of God and he was sharing his life. You know what he was doing. It's it's what we do here at HBF. It's what we're commanded to do. It's what we got to do even if, the, even if we can't physically meet. We got to get on the phone with people. We got to Zoom people. We got to... FaceTime people. we got to do whatever we got to do to make disciples. Bottom line, it's investing our life in the lives of others. So so Paul's doing that, and they're watching him live out his call. And sometimes he's got tears, and sometimes he's <laughs> running from the Jews, and, and he's under pressure, and he's trying to get places on time, and all that other stuff that he's living through. Um, but the whole time, man, he is testifying both to the Jews and Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He's turning people... To God, and and of course, specifically Jesus Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's wanting to change their heart and mind about what they think Jesus is and make sure they understand who Jesus really is, which is the Son of God, who takes away the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world, just as we celebrated last Sunday. So in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, Paul came back around to Ephesus in his third missionary journey. So we've been reading in the book of Acts chapter 20, but in his third missionary journey, he comes back around there. And uh, uh, and so it's at that time that they've been really grounded much better by both Aquila and Priscilla, and also one of their converts from Alexandria named Apollos. So this cat named Apollos, he's, a, he's an eloquent man. I'd say uh, as good or maybe better even at speaking than the Apostle Paul. I wouldn't say he's any brighter, but we don't compare ourselves with ourselves. That's unwise. That's what Paul said. But these are both... Man, these are mega men as far as preaching and teaching the Word of God. And uh, and so Ephesus has got the benefit of both. Before it's over and done, they had the benefit of both the Apostle Paul. They had the benefit of Aquila and Priscilla. They get a marriage. Look, the church is revealed. Think about that. The church is revealed, uh, the mystery revealed in Ephesians 5 to the church at Ephesus. It just so happens that one of the, the, the best-looking couples that we can find as an example In the New Testament, it happens to be Aquila and Priscilla who are stationed there to make disciples. There's something to that, right? Because, you know what, you know, God needs to build his church and put incredible individuals in the church. But, you know, a long time ago, I learned uh, a preacher, David Ripley, one time said, uh, you know, people are what makes churches. And that is absolutely true. But also uh, families are what make up churches. I mean, that's the truth as well. And you got to have good models if you're going to disciple good, you have got to have good examples, good models, good samples, and examples uh, to draw from and taste of and see that the Lord is good. So that I believe the Church of Ephesus, God gave them a lot of examples, and uh, and He didn't do that so that they could be weak. He did that so they could be they could you know they could be strong because this is a building church. This is a mini Romans church. Uh, this is like you know Romans is a doctrinal thesis. Ephesus is a building. Church—it's a church of strength and power and productivity for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and making disciples and doctrine in the first century and beyond. Why is that? Well, God wanted to ensure that He gave Him good examples. He gave Him Paul. He gave Him Apollos. He gave Him Aquila. He gave Him Priscilla. So let me ask you, friend: um, Who's your example? I can actually—I can go around our church and and I can give you all kinds of good examples in our church. There's people that I look to. I'm the pastor. But you know what, I still look up to Doyle Stanley, I still look up to Bob Bolkin. I still look up to all kinds of saints in our church man they're like they're like my heroes and so uh, and I don't I shouldn't name names because then I'll forget people, but I'm just using those as examples off the top of my head. There's many more of you, so please let's not fight over that. but the point is simply this: is that God puts people in your life that are examples and in samples um, and and uh, it's an incredible thing uh and so this is a church that had that and and so It was during this third uh, missionary journey that Paul spent two whole years investing. And, you know, a long time ago, a friend of mine said, love is spelled time. Of course, I'm sure he heard that on a a jingle somewhere. But it's true, and 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 it's a a principle that's true. And so uh, Paul put some time in the church at Ephesus. And while he did, he didn't just sit there and hang out with them on the couch uh, drinking coffee, you know, in the coffee shop listening to guitar music, nothing wrong with guitar music. Um, but the reality is they were out doing the ministry, man. They were getting it done. They were teaching in the school of Tyrannus, if you remember back in our sermon series, and they're out planting churches. They're sending out, they plant seven churches in Asia. I mean, this church was busy. sending them out. There were 12 men in John chapter, um, or in Acts chapter uh, 20, I believe it is. Um, was it Acts chapter 20? Forgive me. Uh, Acts chapter... Yeah, it was Acts chapter 20. Yeah, and the, like verses 3 down through 12. These disciples, these followers of John the Baptist, they hadn't even received the Holy Ghost. It just so happens when Paul meets them and gets them straightened out in their doctrine and they receive Christ as Lord and Savior, they then receive the Holy Ghost. There's 12 of them, just like the 12 apostles. I mean, I mean God just kept providing and providing for Ephesus. I believe this, if you're faithful with what God gives you, He will give you more. But if you're not, He, he won't. You know, so uh, we need to make sure we're faithful with what God gives us. Be, you know, be content with the things that you have. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You got to take care of what you got or God's not going to give you any more. So in your life, who are the examples? Who are the people that you are uh, called to to serve, right? Who are you supposed to be an example to? But also, who do you look to for examples? I just was uh, talking with a couple recently in pre-marriage counseling, and I was just talking to them about how important it is not only to have these biblical principles, but to really look around and scan. And, and you hope that you find biblical principles that represent marriage, let's say, in your family. You hope you see that inside of your, your own parents. And, and man, I'm blessed. I think my mom and dad, there's so many things. Uh, they, they were just good examples of. Um, my dad was, man, he, he, he gave me some good examples. Sometimes better, sadly, to say he didn't go to church. But sometimes it was better than some of the men I've seen in church. And so, uh, if you want to, if you want to, you want to find people in your life that you can learn from. The Word of God is the ultimate authority. But what's really awesome is when you find that authority working in other people's lives. Then you can sample it, then you can taste it, and you can kind of see, man, the Lord is good. What the Lord says, when applied, works in people's lives. It's still just grace, grace unto it. It's grace and peace. I mean, it, we all need God's goodness, and we all need, need God's grace. But it's clear that the Ephesians knew Paul. And they had a really close and personal relationship with him. And, uh, um, and and so he was in this metropolis of Ephesus. This was a Roman city. This was a major city. This wasn't some, you know, podunk little town on the side of the road. This was, this was, this was a mega city in the Roman Empire. And Paul was there making a den in it. Um, and it was incredible. So if you have your Bible, let's look at, I told you we we're going to be in the Bible. Let's go back to Acts chapter 19. I think it would help us to go back again. We're using Acts kind of 20 as a template, but I kind of—it's like a movie. You know, you're, you, one minute you're hearing this scene, then you got to back up and look at how did we get here. So let's go back to Acts chapter 19 and see how did this happen? How did this relationship between Paul and the Ephesians occur? Well, it says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth. Now, in Acts 18, the apostle uh, or Aquila and Priscilla had in essence led apollos to christ he was a a great order but he was still preaching the baptism of john so he's running around saying um um repent uh you know the kingdom is at hand uh you know and get your hearts right the messiah is coming and aquila and priscilla are like uh hey apollos come over here and they just opened up the scripture and they just laid it out to him and said hey you know we hate to tell you this pal but jesus has already come and uh he came and he died and he rose again the third day. And John the Baptist, the guy you're following, he died in prison. Herod killed him. You know about that? Well, after that this is what happened. So the Messiah that you're preaching about, he came, he's died, and he's resurrected. So Apollos is like, "Woohoo!" He gets on board and he's now he's preaching Jesus. So Apollos was already eloquent, and he was already educated, he had a lot of tools. Man, praise God when someone like that uh, is brought into the kingdom of God. God can use them in a mighty way. God saved some people. Maybe you're listening to this tonight and you're like watching me going, dude, that guy is rough as a cob, man. He can't. He's not articulate. He is not educated. I could do such a good job. I would do so much better. You know what I would tell you? I said, you're probably right. But first, you need to be saved. You need to have the Holy Ghost inside of you. That's what Apollos needed. And then God just put gas on a flame and that guy took off. And so, man, I hope that's you. I hope someone out there that is lost right now, that is a gift to the body, that doesn't even know it yet, gets saved. Maybe you'll hear this message tonight and get saved. That would be awesome. But it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. Now, this is Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, finding certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. What are you talking about, Holy Ghost? So this is the opposite of today where the, holy, the con- concept of the Holy Ghost is misrepresented and twisted in the church. At this time, there were people that were hanging around wanting to learn about Jesus that never even heard of the Holy Ghost. They knew not what, what the Holy Ghost was even about. And so Paul teaches them, and, and he said unto them, unto, uh, unto what then were ye baptized? What are you identifying with? What are you doing here? And they tell him, and, and they said unto, unto him... Um, uh, and they said unto them, "Under into what were you baptized?" And they said unto, unto unto John's baptism. So what that means then is that they were were still under the impression that they were waiting on the Messiah to come again, like Apollos and uh, probably disciples of Apollos. The truth be known, or his influence. And then verse four says, "Then Paul, or then said Paul, John, John the Baptist, verily baptized with the baptism of repentance." saying unto the people that they should believe on him which, and emphasize this if you're marking in your Bible or taking notes, him which should come, right? Looking forward to the Messiah after him. That is on Christ Jesus. So you see how Paul plugs in Christ Jesus. Now notice again, if you're a Bible believer, every word of God is important. So notice right before verse 5 and verse 4, it doesn't say... um, On him which should uh, come after him, that is Jesus Christ. In this case, he says, this is Messiah Jesus, not Jesus Messiah. He's making the point, even in the way that, that Christ Jesus is worded, that Jesus Christ has already come. He is the Messiah, and he has arrived, right? And not only has he arrived, he's ascended, and he's left the Spirit of God to teach us all things whatsoever he said unto us, what I was already already talking about earlier. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so these guys got baptized again because they recognized uh, that they were identifying with the wrong message. And they identified with the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that was being preached by the Apostle Paul. You know, sometimes in our church, we'll have someone that gets baptized again. What's that all about? Well, because they think it, maybe they think, well, it's because to be a quote Baptist, you've got to be baptized in water. But it's actually the opposite of that. The reason that you'll often see people get re baptized is because what we are looking for in a Bible believing local New Testament church is that people have a proper understanding of the Holy Ghost. And what I mean by that is the Bible's really clear that when we get saved, our souls are sealed until the day of redemption. We'll get into that. In a few more weeks in Ephesians, in a lot more detail. But just to, just for clarity tonight, there are people today that are that go to church. They're religious. They're kind of like these guys that were following John the Baptist baptism, right? They they weren't bad folks. They were well intentioned, and they in essence were working with the information they had, but it wasn't complete. Uh, it wasn't founded in the reality of what Jesus Christ had done on the cross and His finished work. And so Paul had to present to them who the The Messiah was and what he had done and how their faith does no longer rest in what's to come but in what has already come and so a lot of time there's really only two 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 ways there's only two paths Uh, you can boil all religious activity down to two things and one's true and one's false one is called grace one is is access to God by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone we'll talk about that a lot in Ephesians 2 and the other is works and that's what it boils down to it's either grace or works and so you can name a number of religions, and I don't care which one. I don't care what name's on the door. Uh, but at the end of the day, all of them, typically, there's, they're all going to be works. You have to do something to be saved. You have to, you know, when you, when you do 10 jumping jacks or 50 Hail Marys or whatever, you're going to earn favor with God. I used to think that before I was a Christian. I thought, someday I'm going to get baptized in water so I can be saved. Because for some reason in my mind, I thought that I had to get in a tank full of water in front of a bunch of people and get baptized to be saved. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says I need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And what, what ironically, what happens is when someone places their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, they are baptized. But they're not baptized in water. They're baptized, by, the Bible says, by the Spirit of God. And it's not a second blessing. It's the blessing that happens when you get saved. It's immediate. Upon, the, upon professing faith in Christ, if you're sincere in heart and you believe what the Word of God says and you call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says that you are saved. And with that, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit uh, it happens. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. He seals your soul. That's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's called in Ephesians... It's called the one true baptism, Ephesians 4. We'll get to that as well. And uh, in, Acts, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's also spoken of. That's how when we come into Christ, that's why we're also connected to the body because we're all baptized into Christ. So then, that's it. Faith in Christ, man, that puts you in Christ. That's a like spiritual baptism. Uh, that's, what, that's That comes free. All you got to do is call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, trusting But Jesus Christ already trusting his faith, trusting his work, trusting his redemptive power. And by faith, you call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. The Bible says you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are spiritually baptized. Then, oh, after that, well, then it's time to get in the water and show everybody publicly what Christ has already done spiritually. Because you're as good as dead, buried and risen again. So praise God for that. That's, uh, that's, That's what we call believer's baptism. So uh, believer's baptism is awesome. It's one of the two ordinances God has given the church. And, uh, and man, I tell you what, if you need to get baptized, call me up. We'll get, you, we'll get it all fixed up. I don't care what's going on. We'll fix it up. We'll get it done. We'll put you on the screen, and everybody in the world will get to see you get baptized. That'd be pretty cool. But baptism's important. Believer's baptism's important. But it's not more important than getting saved. It's not a works-based economy. We aren't working our way into God's favor. We have God's favor as soon as we call upon the name of the Lord. The real issue is really, what do we do with Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection? If you're not putting your faith in his finished work, you're probably putting it in yourself or some work that you're doing. You're trying to earn favor with God. That's not faith, that's not grace. You're not gonna get it there. And so make sure that you got your faith in the right thing. So the apostle Paul, he's trying to explain all of this to these guys, they're good guys, they're not bad guys. Uh, these These are guys that are serious. And of course, because they have good hearts, Uh, They do what the Bible says, they repent, right? They change their heart and they change their mind about what they believed and they put their faith fully in Jesus Christ and they secure salvation, they're baptized, the Spirit of God comes upon them. These are obviously Jews and God was working in that. If you have questions on that, go back to my time in the book of Acts on why that was at the time. But God was working through them and of course those 12 men go out and all the men, it says were 12 in verse 7, and he went to the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of, of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So, Paul, now we see for three months. This wasn't just a quick, uh, you know, fifty-minute message on a Wednesday night. He spends three months among people who already know the Old Testament, and he is preaching not about the kingdom of heaven, but again, if you are a Bible believer, notice it says the kingdom of God. There is a distinction, right? When you are in the in the four Gospels, there's almost sometimes interchange kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Well, because they're at hand, right? Both of them were offered through, from Jesus Christ to the nation of Israel, his chosen people. He came to his own, his own received him not. So we see in Acts that transition period. We've been talking about that on Sunday morning, that as, as the nation of Israel rejected the Lord Jesus, right? He puts the kingdom of heaven agenda on hold uh, for the nation of Israel and continues on with the kingdom of God. So we find the Apostle Paul exposing that, ex- sharing that in the synagogue. What is God doing with the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom? It won't be very many years. It's 52 AD, let's say. So in, uh, in 20 years, less than 20 years, uh, the, the Jerusalem is going to be flattened by General Titus. There's going to be no more temple. There ain't going to be any more ability to be a Jew and worship in the temple. They're going to be dispersed all over the world uh, until 1948 when they come back together miraculously. And so and during World War II, so so man, what an incredible thing! Paul's preaching the kingdom of God, and um, and so he's 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 teaching them about the spiritual aspects of what God is doing. And then it says in verse nine, but when the when diverse were hardened, again, God not only did He present the gospel to the Jews that it wasn't necessary; it was it was through faith in Christ alone. Um, um, not that the law was bad, but but faith in Christ, Jesus was their Messiah. He preached that in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. Now, I know we use that really kind of in a devotional aspect as a great template and a model to kind of plan your mission strategy. And we do that. We actually, our strategy for missions is based on Acts 1 8. But there's also a literal aspect as you read through the book of Acts, how you can actually see Israel as a nation and their leaders as Paul is going from synagogue to synagogue, as Peter is preaching in the synagogues. The apostles to the Jews, even the apostle Paul, he was called to preach to the Gentiles, to, to the Jews and to the kings, right? So he had a, an unction to preach to all these peoples. he go to the synagogue and they harden their heart. Man, don't harden your heart to the truth. I tell you, the day that I got saved, I was afraid to harden my heart one more time. I was was afraid. If I harden my heart one more time, I don't know if this grace is going to come around again. I don't know if my understanding will be quickened to understand the gospel one more time. Man, I tell you, Israel was on shaky ground. Not only did they reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah in Jerusalem, but they rejected him uh, in Judea and Samaria, right, surrounding the the capital of Jerusalem and the area of Judea. And then uh, they rejected him throughout the known world in their synagogues. Well, that's why, if you're a Jew tonight and you're wondering, you know, why do we have such a hard time the last couple thousand years? Well, first of all, let me tell you, you're God's chosen people. God still has a place for Israel. Actually, the New Testament lays that out for us. You're an elect group of people. Romans 9 through 11 speaks about that. And he's got promises for the nation of Israel he's going to fulfill. But man, I tell you what, the hard times for Israel are not over. And so it behooves you to understand what I'm saying about the gospel, just like the Apostle Paul, just beseeching the Jews, would you get a hold of the kingdom of God? Would you get a hold? I know God has physical promises to you, but for a moment, focus on the spiritual promises that he's already delivered through Christ. So important. And so Paul goes on, as they harden their heart, it goes on to say, but when diverse of them hardened, and this is verse 9, and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude... Paul said, that's it, I'm out. He departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So Paul leaves the synagogue and he says, you know what, this is unprofitable. I'm going to take my disciples out of this environment because we're not going anywhere. And uh, I'm going to go to the school of Tyrannus. And this is where we're going to do our operation. Now notice this in verse 10. And it, and it says, and this continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in asia heard the word of the lord jesus both jews and greeks man so for two years our bible institute goes four years this has a two-year bible institute and man they had everyone in asia everyone in modern-day turkey heard of the lord jesus christ whether you were jewish or you were a, a grecian which is in essence just a roman citizen in that area the greeks had the influence so if you could speak greek and you were, or you were a Roman hanging out in that area at that time, or a Jew. Chances are you have heard of this gospel that the Apostle Paul preaches. I mean, what an incredible thing! Would to God we would have that kind of influence today. So the Apostle Paul, I want—I say all that just to say this: this is the kind of influence that Ephesus is having. This—this this action is happening in Ephesus. And so, back to Acts chapter twenty. Let's go back to where we were. I'm going to go back into Acts chapter twenty and verse uh, verse twenty-two now, and it says this. And now behold, this is the Apostle Paul. He's, he's, this is a swan song. And and I've just kind of given you historical snippets of his relationship with them as they have watched him serve the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations. This is why. They have seen him go through the ringer. They have seen him. You know, we saw the goddess of Diana. They've seen him. He was ready to get up there and, and get into it in the amphitheater. And, and the, the wisdom of the Ephesians was like, Nah, Paul. You probably don't need to do that. They literally withdrew him from that to save Paul. So Paul had a very good relationship with the Ephesians. He goes on to say in verse 22, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witness, witnesseth in every city, saying, uh, where am I at? The bonds and afflictions abide in me, or abide me, meaning that he's getting ready everywhere he goes. The Holy Ghost keeps reiterating to him, when you go to Jerusalem, it's going to be tough sledding. Verse 24, but now, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life, dear, unto myself, right? Paul said, I'm ready to die, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now there's the grace of God, the grace of God. That's how he introduces his epistle to the Ephesians. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Now, notice this in verse 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And so when we talk about Paul and his introduction to the Ephesians, and I, I've mentioned to you that, you know, when he comes into Ephesians 1 one and 2, and he's, he's, he's talking to the Ephesians, this isn't like some figurehead. This isn't like, you know, you know some person they don't know. This Apostle Paul, he has, he has, man, he has cried with them. He has served with them. He has invested in them. He poured everything. He says he didn't shun to declare the whole counsel of God. Everything that the Apostle Paul knew, he was teaching them. They, were, they had a repository of information that the Apostle Paul was just, just putting into them. And he shunned not to declare to them the whole counsel of God's word. He also let them know that they would see his face no more. But that, that didn't mean that he wasn't thinking of them. Praise the Lord. You know, I think about Gwen Arnie. You know, he's just lost his uncle tonight. Man, that's tough. Yeah, this, this COVID situation has been tough on people because you can't always see people face to face. And even when you do, I just saw some relatives and, uh, for my birthday, You know, and I can't hug my own mother. I mean, man, what a mess! And and you know, you want to be with people. The Ephesians wanted to be with Paul. They couldn't. They weren't going to see his face anymore. But you know what? You know what Paul did do? Well, you know what he did. That's why we're talking about it tonight. He sent him a letter. You know, a good thing to do at a time like this to people you love is just write them a letter. Write them an email. Send them something. Uh, you know, uh, a handwritten letter goes a long way. I've been corresponding. Just little messages back and forth with missionaries and. Different pastors, I had a pastor today from our sending church send me, send me a message. Uh, I was nice, it was sweet you know and I'm like, praise the Lord, you know uh, Philadelphian love goes a long way, and so we need to, we need to definitely uh, you know take it, each other into consideration and uh, and do that and I just want to say for HBF this is primarily an HBF audience, so HBF man, you're awesome. you, you guys do do that, and I just want to continue to encourage you in that so paul Paul was was doing a good job. he was writing the epistle. From his house arrest in Caesarea or in Rome, he had that. He actually moves again. Eventually, I give away the story from our time in Acts. He'll go from Caesarea and eventually take a a journey via ship up to Rome, and uh, it'll be an exciting uh, series when we get into that. But he, while he's in arrest, uh, his first arrest in Rome, he uh, he uh, under the Roman um, uh, authorities, he writes these epistles, and I'll talk to you a little bit more about that in a minute. But if if the if if uh, the Romans would have comprehended. I can just envision Paul sitting around in the Caesarean uh, uh, palace. You know, he was under a guard every day, every six hours, I believe it is. They're switching out Romans uh, guards so that he's he's chained to somebody. He's being treated well. He's eating well. He can see visitors. He can do his own business. But at the meantime, he's he's sitting at a table, you know, and he's writing or he's dictating to a scribe or what, however he got the book of Ephesians out. And just, you know, right over here. Six feet, feet—that's you know what that is right now? Six feet is what they're telling us to do for social distancing, the physical distance between somebody. Six feet away, he's got a Roman soldier sitting there with a chain. Maybe three foot, I don't know. So everything he's doing is in light of the Romans. He's writing this epistle to a city that's heavily under the influence of Rome. It's a mini-Rome, its a mini, it's a mini Rome, so to speak. And he's writing this epistle underneath. If the, if the Romans would have understood the impact of these epistles would have had upon the Roman Empire, they would have said, you do not write another epistle and you do not let those things go anywhere because the word of God turns the world upside down. I ought to be careful what I say before they turn off our internet, but praise God. So uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 26, let's keep going and seeing what happens. It says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, as he's getting ready to leave, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. I just got to pause right here. You know what Paul wanted the Ephesians to do? He wanted them to be able to feed the flock of God. Now, he's obviously in Acts 20 teaching the elders and encouraging them to do that. But he wants to make sure the church goes on in his absence. And, beloved, that's what we should all be about doing, especially pastors and elders in the churches, leaders and pastors in the churches. We should all be about that. But really, think about that. Every person, every person who says, oh, I'm mature in the Lord, which everybody always does. Oh, I'm level seven of seven stages of discipleship. Good, I hope you are. If we really are that, then you know what? We need to make sure that we are leaving behind people that when we're gone, when we're no longer available, when we can no longer write a letter, when we can no longer be there in the flesh, when we can no longer get on Zoom, we can no longer do FaceTime, that there are people that can go on in our stead that have the word of God, that are able to teach the flock of God also. And you do that by pouring your life into people and giving them everything you know. And man, I pray that if there are people in your life that are giving you everything they know about the Lord Jesus, man, be responsible with that. Do something with it. It's not just to tickle your fancy, right? Not just to tickle your ears. God is investing the word of God in your life because he expects you to be a good steward of it. Because you don't know what's going to come. There may come a day where they do turn off the internet. Now how are you going to lead your family? You better be remembering what we talk about from the Word of God. You better have some notes written down. You better have done some study. You better know the principles of Bible study, right? You better remember and do the things that you've been taught. And if you're not doing them now, chances are you won't do it later. So I'm just saying. All right. He goes on in verse 29. He says, For I know this, but after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, you know what a grievous wolf is? They come in with fangs, man, and, they, and they, they take people by the jugular and they just they bloodlet them. He's like, there's going to be people coming in letting blood in the church, not physically, but he's talking about spiritually. Uh, people that will come in, in essence, slice people's throats spiritually so that they spiritually uh, are, are no longer powerful. Verse 30, also your own selves, uh, of your own selves, shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He's like, there's going to be people come in with these huge egos and start saying things just so people will follow them, which, by the way, if you want to see what that looks like, go read the epistle of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I have ceased not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, build you up, pump you up. Man, I tell you what, this was a church that got built up. And, and, and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. That word sanctified is also important. We'll talk about that more. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you things, uh, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, and they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. That's the kind of relationship they had with Paul. They were very close. And then it says in verse 38, Sorrowing most of all, for all the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him under the ship. Uh, I really, I've I've always wondered about that. I thought, you know, why... I get that they were sad he was leaving. I think I probably might have been more concerned about grievous wolves coming in and not sparing the flock. That's pretty important. But whatever the case, they had this relationship with the Apostle Paul. And man, what a conclusion. They are just loving up on him. What a sweet, what a sweet thing to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul, who they love so well, wondering what happened to Paul down in Jerusalem. I heard he was in jail. Man, it's been two years since he was taken in. What happened? Did the Jews kill him? I heard there was a, I heard there was a plot to kill Paul. And all of a sudden, you get a a letter in the mail. You get a messenger comes. Oh, Paul's fine. Uh, He's he's being Paul. God's taking care of him. And by the way, here's a letter uh, from your beloved Apostle Paul. Paul concludes his time with the Ephesian elders with this exhortation of responsibility for themselves and the flock. Later, the Holy Ghost would again speak of the seven churches of Asia, starting with Ephesus. But it wouldn't be by the Apostle Paul who who's the other apostle that speaks about the church of ephesus? Apostle John. apostle John I'm glad I got some feedback in the booth thank you uh, so apostle John so the apostle John also in a, in the book of revelation chapter two verse one, the church of ephesus and so uh in verses one through seven speaks about really in ninety a d we know the church of Ephesus is still going and they're still going it's forty uh you know forty years past. Um, almost 100 AD, almost 40 years past Paul's death, and so they did a great job of rooting out the false teachers. We know that they actually took heed to what Paul said, because of what the Apostle John says. And then there's some other areas that they need to adjust. Which isn't that the case with all of us? We kind of we ebb and flow, right? We go from the ones the pendulum kind of swings. We do one thing well, and then we forsake something else. So, uh, so they get some correction and, and instruction. But this is a practical lesson for all industrious. Uh, discipleship, bodybuilding, churches, in uh, the Living Faith Fellowship, and, and among our other churches that I would consider uh, our fellowship of churches, regardless of what your you know little group is that you put on your name, um, man, I tell you what, many of us are very industrious in regard to missions and discipleship and teaching the Word of God. We're serious; we're not kidding about making disciples that make disciples, that plant churches, and be, and do missions. And and so praise God for that. But well, there's also a lot of things that we can learn because as good as as the ephesians were they had some problems. And so I'm going to I'm going to st- I got more to say about this. I'm not going to get through my introduction on the introduction, but we'll pick it up next week. But let me just leave you with some practical things. Because you know, <clears throat> there was a time in my life when I was I was wondering, you know, why should I submit to this structure that this church has, you know, if you're at HBF, it's you know, why should I submit to discipleship? Why should I go through discipleship 1? Why should I go through discipleship 2? And why should I be involved? In in my case, it was Shepherd School here at Heartland. It's Heartland Bible Institute. If you're at another church, it might be Living Faith Bible Institute or uh, Word. Uh, I don't know what they call it up in Rochester or Maple City. Every local New Testament church that has an advanced discipleship calls it something. And so why, why would I submit to that? I'll be honest with you, I didn't even think about discipleship. Earl Cross, when he led me to Christ, he was just he just started me in discipleship. It's like a baby with a bottle, just stick it in the mouth and away you go. I just started eating. And once I started eating, I wanted more. So discipleship one was pretty, for me, was pretty natural. Uh, it just happened, uh, you know, organically. But discipleship two was a decision. I, I had to make some hard decisions when it came to D2. It was a point of consecration. And then beyond that, HBI or Shepherd School was also a decision. And I sat with a pastor one time and I said, hey, pastor, you know, you you say Bible colleges are not the, you know, really the, the model of the New Testament. It's a local New Testament church. And I see all that. But what's the difference between the local New Testament church and a Bible college? And he gave me some examples and all of that. And I'm saying, but can't the Holy Spirit of God use someone to, you know, teach the word of God that doesn't go through the Bible Institute? And uh, he very wisely said, "Absolutely." He says, "I never went to a Bible Institute, and I'm a pastor." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a good point." So definitely, you need. You know what? um, Charles Spurgeon was never ordained officially. He should have been, but he wasn't. I don't know why. God blesses. God can do a lot of things. God can do what He wants to do. Okay, but the reality is this, and this is what the pastor told me. And I want to share a verse with you after this because God confirmed in the Word why I needed. Uh, and it goes right along with what we're talking about here with the Ephesians and the Apostle Paul. Why did I need to go on with advanced training? Why did I need to submit to the structure of that local New Testament church? Well, uh, he went on to say, uh, you know, you don't have to go to our institute, but it's there for you if you want it, and it's a really good thing to do. And uh, you know what? That's a, that's a That was a really gracious—you know what I he gave me was grace. He didn't hit the table. You must go here to do—it wasn't the law— it was like, well, you know, God can do what he wants to do in your life, but this is a great opportunity. This is the, the way that we impart knowledge. And it was about that time that God gave me the, a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 12, it says, And we beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. It says, know them. How well do you know your pastors? How well do you know your deacons? How well do you know the ministry heads in your church? You know, you should. And esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And God used that passage in my life, and I wrote it down in the back of my Bible. I marked the date. Um, It's not this Bible, it's another Bible I've got. I've still got it in there. Where God said, Brian, this is what you need to do. You need to go and you need to watch and you need to observe and you need to learn. You need to sit underneath these men. You know what? That's what the Ephesians Ephesians sat underneath the Apostle Paul not just for two years, but from 52 AD to 62 AD for a decade, they got to watch his life. Whether he was in Ephesus teaching in the school of Tyrannus or whether he was, you know, moving about uh, doing his missions work or whether he was writing them an epistle or whether he was, you know, sitting around in jail or whether he was being pursued by the Jews across, uh, you know, uh, Achaia. Whatever the case may be, they watched the Apostle Paul. They were able to sample his life and see that, you know what, he's the real deal. This guy's authentic. He is not playing. And you know what? You need people in your life. And if you have people in your life that are like that and people that will impart the word of God to you, everything they know, the whole counsel of God's word, then why in the world would you not take advantage of it? I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't. And I I say that, but, you know, I almost didn't do it. But I I knew I was called, so I went. But, you know, whether it's discipleship one, discipleship two, or uh, maybe advanced discipleship in a Bible institute or whatever the case you really need to consider, you know, what God wants to do in your life. And this point, I only got the one point. I still got, I got two more points. I'll pick them up next week. But this point tonight, point number one is authority. And it could be an authority issue. You know, the folks in in, uh, in Corinth didn't grow very well. They had the same opportunities. They had 18 months with the apostle Paul, almost two years. They had a lot of time with Paul. They had a lot of investment. They got two epistles. Ephesus only got one. But they did not grow like the church at Ephesus. They they didn't build like the church of Ephesus. They didn't have the the heritage that we can document in the New Testament that we're aware of like the church of Ephesus. Why is that? Well, because they they didn't have the same relationship as Ephesus had with the leaders. And so the reality is this. We need to submit ourselves to the word of God. That's really where I'm going with this. The Apostle Paul, we'll get to that later. Uh, I'm going I'm to talk next week when we come back about our authority and, and uh, Christ's authority. And so that's where we'll park it tonight. But I'm glad that you joined us tonight. And I pray that if God is calling you to take a step, you know, and you're like stuck and you're wondering, why isn't it working? And I've had all the classes and I'm just not satisfied because I've had all the classes. Maybe it's not classes that you need. Maybe it's relationship with people, examples so that you can really understand your identity in Christ, so you can be everything that God saved you to be, so you can accomplish that which God has saved you to do. You need people in your life that you will allow to speak truth, to admonish, it says. Paul admonished them. Uh, Paul uh, spoke truth to them. He was an example to them. He taught them. It wasn't that Paul was sinlessly perfect, or any other leader, or Apollos, or Aquila, and Priscilla but they were the people that, they, that God put in the Ephesians' lives so that they could be the disciples, a disciple-making tr- church that went on well beyond the life of Paul, well beyond the life of Aquila and Priscilla, all the way into the first century A.D. Man, would to God that our life would have impact well beyond our years. I just turned 50, so man, that's my pr- I hope that the 18 years I've invested in HBF were not in vain. By God's grace, if I croaked over dead of a heart attack, I pray that the ministry here would just go on beyond what I could ask or think and that we could go on because we've got the whole counsel of God's word. You've got incredible pastors. Man, God should continue to bless your life. But you got to take God's word serious. You've got to take God's church serious. And you got to take your call serious. And when we go through this study in Ephesians, that's what we're going to see. We're going to talk about Christ, um, Christ's deity, man. We're going to talk about actually his sufficiency. I'll get into his deity when we do that. But three things we're going to see. In verses, chapters 1 and 2, we're going to see Christ's sufficiency. In chapters 3 and 4, we're going to see the church's unity. And in chapters um, 5 and 6, we're going to see the Christian's um, responsibility. And so it's going to be a great time. So I hope you join us through the rest of the study. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, is there any comments or questions? I'll give you a second to process through that. Uh, if anybody's still hanging on, maybe everybody went to sleep or went to mow the lawn. But let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer. And uh, if anybody has anything, you can shout it out to me after the word of prayer. I will have a few announcements after the prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time uh, to meet with your church, if, uh, if there indeed anyone is watching. And uh, I just pray, God, this would be a, a time of edification as we start the book of Ephesians, uh, that you would use this time as we've uh, looked at the introduction of the Apostle Paul. I pray, God, that uh, your good hand be upon your church and uh, upon the saints of God that are seeking to be conformed to his image, Uh, in his likeness, Lord. I thank you, Lord, so much for